Would you turn, please, to Genesis chapter 3? We've been on a subject for some weeks now that we've been calling the blame game. The blame game. And uh, we don't just say that because, you know, we thought it sounded cute to say it that way. Uh, Blame is what we've been talking about. And game, one of the definitions of a game is something that is dishonest, some ruse, some, you know, scheme that someone is trying to do. And dishonesty is involved in blaming others many times. In the... um, the third chapter and the seventh verse of Genesis, we see after Adam and Eve had disobeyed and eaten of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that God commanded them not to, their eyes were opened, they knew they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. You see, the first thing that mankind did, man and woman did, when they fell, is they tried to hide, tried to cover and hide what had happened. Verse 8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. They tried to cover themselves, then they tried to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. That is the effects and results of sin consciousness. Sin consciousness causes one to draw back and to fear, but righteousness consciousness causes one to be bold and draw near. Only in Christ and through the power of the blood of the spotless lamb can we get rid of a guilty conscience or a conscience that bothers us So instead of running away from God and trying to hide and cover up things, we come to God. We actually can come boldly right to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and get grace to help in the time of need. But you won't do that if you're afraid and full of fear about sin consciousness because that fear has torment. So uh, verse 9 The Lord God called Adam. He said, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice or or your sound in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You see uh, fear. You see self-consciousness. You see insecurity. You see hiding. None of those things existed in Adam and Eve before they did this and fell. It is not normal. It is not okay for us to be full of insecurities. The Bible said God did not give us the spirit of fear. One translation of that is the spirit of timidity. He didn't give us the spirit of timidity, uh, fear, but the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Let me say it again. Sin consciousness causes you to draw back and fear, to be afraid. But righteousness consciousness causes you to be bold and draw near. 
<laughs> and that's what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us running and hiding and trying to cover things up. For one thing, how can you hide stuff from God? How can you cover things? You cannot. I mean, what chance of success did they have hiding from God in the garden? They never had any chance of success. And yet, they tried to do it anyway. That's the unreasonableness. That's the how irrational fear is and sin consciousness. Verse 11, he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you that you should not eat? And the simple answer is, yes, I did. But that's not how he responded. He said, the woman that you gave me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. This is blaming. This is trying to get the focus off of himself and shift the blame and accuse not only his wife, but God. He said, the woman that you gave me. So this has been going on since the fall of man for all these, you know, centuries. And you'll see it just throughout the whole earth of people blaming each other, blaming each other, accusing each other. It's also, as we studied in Hebrews 12, it's the root of bitterness. If you're bitter again and again, it's because you're blaming somebody for something instead of taking responsibility yourself. And verse 13, same thing happened with the woman. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. This blame, Proverbs had gone into, we studied this, talks about if you cover your sins, you will not prosper. But if you will confess them and forsake them, you'll get mercy. Oh, everybody say mercy. Mercy. Yeah, go ahead and put that on the screen. I quoted it, but put it on the screen. Proverbs 28, 13. 28, 13. He who covers his sins shall not prosper. Another way, the word prosper means succeed. Another way of saying it, it won't succeed. Did Adam and Eve trying to hide from God, did that succeed? Did it work? No, it was never going to work. So covering and hiding Sometimes people think, well, uh, you don't know, Brother Keith, I've hid this from my husband or wife for 40 years, and they don't know. It ain't over. The end of this life is not everything over. If you don't repent and get things right, the Bible talks about things coming out now in this life, and the Bible talks about a time when we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of things that we did in this life in the flesh. Now that is not before the white throne judgment to determine if we're saved or not. No, we are saved by the blood of the Lamb, but we're still going to have to give an account of what we did with our opportunities, with our graces, with these things. And I assure you, it ain't going to work when it's our turn to give an account to try to point the finger at somebody. Well, my wife wouldn't, my husband wouldn't, my brother wouldn't, my boss wouldn't, and it ain't going to work. Everybody, the Bible said, every one of us must give an account of himself or herself. Give an account has the idea of explaining through with words. 
what you did and why you did it and why you didn't. One of the big things is any time we miss it, we want to confess it here in this life. We want to get it right, get our heart right, and receive cleansing and washing for all our mistakes. And they won't be mentioned to us. They won't be brought up. The blood of the Lamb has washed us. But the worst thing that could happen to a person is refusing to repent and just trying to hide and cover things. You do not want to do that ever. Now, uh, in 2 Peter 3, we'll read this before we go further, but 3, 9, 2 Peter 3, 9 says it like this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering to us. This is explaining why Jesus hasn't already returned. Why hasn't he come back yet? It's been a long time. I mean, right after Jesus ascended on high, the disciples and the believers, they thought he's coming back, you know, maybe next month, maybe next year. And these years have turned into decades and centuries, and he still hadn't come. And there are scoffers and mockers that say, oh, he's not coming. That's why he hadn't come. That's a lie. He hasn't come yet because he's merciful. He's gracious. If he comes, that's it. Things are done. This age is done. Opportunity is over. And he keeps allowing more time for more people to get in. I mean, to him, another thousand years is just waiting another day. And so, you know, yeah, we want to get done. We want to wind this up. But at the same time, aren't we glad the Lord didn't come while we were still lost? You know, we want to see mercy and grace for other people too. So uh, he's, he's not slack. Everybody should know that. He's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. Now this word perish could also be translated destroyed or consumed. He's not willing that any should perish. Do you know what the enemy is always trying to do? He's going about seeking whom he may devour. He is called Abaddon and Apollyon. He's the destroyer. He's always looking to steal, to kill, to destroy. But here is the protection and redemption from destruction. What is it? God's not willing that any should be consumed, devoured, destroyed. Perish, be lost is another translation, definition I should say. Be lost, but what's going to prevent people from perishing? But that all should come to repentance. Repentance is one of the greatest things you could ever hear or think about or talk about. It is the alternative to destruction. It is the way out of being consumed and perishing. It is the way out of trouble. It is the way back to God. No matter how badly you've messed up, somebody say, thank God for repentance. Thank God for repentance. In Timothy, 2 Timothy, it says it's a gift. It's a gift from God, repentance is. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of repentance. Go with me to Acts, the 8th chapter. Do Christians ever need to repent? 
That should be an easy question to answer. (laughs) But we should answer every question with Scripture. Acts, the eighth chapter, tells of the account of the disciples going and preaching the Word of God and miracles happening and great things happening. And it mentions people getting saved and then it focuses on an individual. The Bible said, Acts 8, verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spoke. Verse 8, there was great joy in the city. And then it mentions a man named Simon, who had been a sorcerer. And verse 12, it says, when they, now that's talking about all the people of the town, or a bunch of them, that uh, had heard the preaching, when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now let me just stop right here. Are they saved? They heard the preaching of the gospel. They believed it. They received it. They've been baptized in water as a act and witness of their faith. Are they saved? Well, if they're not, we've got to wonder about you. No, they're saved. The Bible said, he that believes, you know, Mark 16 says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Well, that's what happened to them. Well, verse 13, Simon himself believed. This is the guy who used to be a sorcerer. Can sorcerers get saved? Oh, certainly they can. He believed too. And when he was baptized, so he was baptized too. He continued with Philip, wondering and beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So was Simon saved? Well, the Bible says the same thing about him. If he wasn't saved, how do we know all these other people were saved? Because it says the exact same thing. They believed and they were baptized. So uh, verse 14, they sent Peter and John down and they laid hands on the people and they received the Holy Ghost. And verse 18, when Simon saw that, he offered them money. Now you got to understand, he's a baby Christian. He's saved, but his mind ain't got renewed yet. How much word does he have in him? He's lived a life in the occult. And so he says, give me this power. He's not trying to buy the Holy Ghost. He wants the ministry of laying hands on people and them getting the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God may be purchased with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, in this matter of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Is Simon a believer? Is he a Christian? Yeah, we've already established that. If he's not, how do you know all these other people are? Because the Bible uses the exact same terms. Did he need to repent? Did he have a heart problem? Yeah, his heart wasn't right. He was thinking wrong. He wasn't just thinking wrong. His heart was going the wrong direction. Why did he want this power to lay hands on people? Did he think he could charge for this? You know, what's going on? Obviously, some things not good. This is not just an ignorant thing because Peter is pretty rough with him. Not just Peter, the Holy Spirit threw him. He said, your money perish with you. Well, now we just got through reading about perishing. What's the alternative to perishing? Repenting. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And in doing so, you're going to come to eternal life. 
you're not going to be judged. If you'll judge yourself, you won't be judged. If you'll repent, you're not going to perish. Well, verse 21, you don't have any part or lot in this matter. Your heart's not right in the sight of God. Verse 22, repent. What's the solution? Everybody tell me. (laughs) Repent of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I perceive that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And then, you know, he's, he's having to make an adjustment. He can't be a sorcerer and make money through all this stuff anymore if he's going to be a Christian. He's got some major mind renewal. He, he's got to completely change his profession, his life, everything. How many know just because you got born again, that's not the end. It's the beginning. And you don't think right about everything just because you got born again. Your mind still needs to be renewed. And you can still make wrong decisions. And you can still desire wrong things. You still got a heart. You still got a free will, even though you've been saved. He said in verse 24, Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you've spoken will come upon me. So it seems he did have a responsive heart and a repentive attitude about it. He didn't resist him. He didn't argue with him. But I just wanted to take a moment and establish, do Christians need to repent? And not just, you know, intellectually change their thinking about something, but a heart change. Heart changes. With God, it's always about the heart. He said man looks on the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. There is no repentance as far as God's concerned unless it involves the heart, unless there's a heart change. In uh, Hebrews 12, we mentioned there, look at verse 15 if you would, Hebrews 12, 15. We talked about Esau and what happened with him. And it said that we're to look diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God and lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. This phrase, fail of the grace of God, is a sobering phrase. Another way to say it is come short of the grace of God. There are other phrases, I won't take time to to go to them, but the Bible talks about failing to receive the grace of God. The Bible talks about the Amplified in Galatians 2.21 talks about setting aside, invalidating, or frustrating, or nullifying the grace of God. Now, the grace of God is one of the most amazing things we could ever talk about. But it is possible to fail of the grace of God. It is possible to fail to receive it, to fail to get the benefits of it. How can that be? Well, we see with Esau, he failed to repent, and he became bitter about what happened with him and the birthright and the blessing. But the thing is, whose fault was it? Did somebody make him sell his birthright? Was he forced to at, you know, arrow point or whatever it was? No, he didn't respect it. He didn't esteem it. He said, what good is this going to do me? And when it came time, though, to get the blessing, uh, with the birthright came a responsibility. He didn't want that. 
But he did want the blessing when it was time to get the blessing. A lot of people like that. They don't want the responsibility, but they do want the riches. They want the blessing. But he missed it. He didn't get it because his heart wasn't right. Right here in this passage says he was a profane person. He was somebody that didn't have respect for God and the things of God. His heart wasn't right. And he never repented and made it right. And so he became bitter and angry, and he failed of the grace of God. So how would somebody fail of the grace of God? By a refusal to repent and believe. A refusal. How does anybody get born again? What is the the Great Commission talk about in Mark 16? Go into all the world and proclaim and preach the good news to every created being. And what will happen? He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that believes not will be condemned. So that would, even though the grace of God has already covered their sins, they'll wind up being condemned and judged in the end. So they did not benefit from the grace of God offered and given. They would fail of the grace of God. Why? Because they wouldn't believe. They wouldn't repent of their sins and acknowledge I need a savior. They wouldn't believe that God has given his son and paid the price. They wouldn't bow their knee to Jesus as Lord. So the grace was manifested. Jesus took their sins and paid the price. It was offered to them, but they did not benefit from it. They'd fail of the grace of God because of a refusal to repent and a refusal to believe. That's why we've said this is perhaps the worst thing that could ever happen to any human being is refusing to repent. Because anything else, God can fix. (laughs) Anything else. I don't care how bad you've messed up or how bad you've messed things up. Anything else, God can fix. But if you won't repent, he's not going to make you. He's not going to violate his word and his person and force somebody to humble themselves and repent and believe. He's not going to do that. And so if he won't force you and you're unwilling to, a person could get in a place where nobody can help them, not even God. And that's saying a lot. So how many would raise a hand and as an act of your heart say, I will never refuse to repent when I need to. I will never be obstinate and stubborn and rebellious and refuse to repent. We shouldn't be quick to receive condemnation. I'm not talking about that. This is not the same thing. But you should be willing, if you've messed up, to just be honest and acknowledge it. Not try to hide it, not try to cover, not try to blame somebody else about it, but be quick to repent and quick to believe. And if you do so, You will not fail of the grace of God. You will enjoy the full benefits of the grace of God. And you'll experience the cleansing, the washing, the righteousness of Christ. And you won't have any, your conscience won't be bothering you. You won't have anything between you and and God in fellowship. Praise God. The grace of God is sufficient and more than enough. But you got to be willing to repent. Now, um, with that in mind. Look with me in, um, oh, what's the best way to say this, Lord? 
Go to the book of Proverbs. But put on the screen, we can do both. James 5.16. James 5.16. Notice the first part of this. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Let's just look at that part. Now what you will hear and see so many times when something happens is whose fault is it? Have you ever heard that before? Whose fault is it? And a lot of times before anything has even fully gotten into, people begin to say, well, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Have you ever heard this before? And then sometimes people begin to volunteer. It's not their fault, but it is somebody else's fault. Well, what is that? Isn't that the same thing Adam did? Eve did? This is accusing. And remember, the enemy of God is the accuser of the brethren that accuses us before our God night and day. We do not want to be involved in the ministry of the devil, the ministry of accusation and blame. But this is just happening all the time. And you'll hear people get so adamant, it's not my fault. This, none of this is my fault. And you'll see a pattern with a lot of folks that keep having a lot of problems, and some way or another, it's never their fault. No matter how much trouble or how many problems, they're not putting it together, but to hear them talk, it's always somebody else's fault, all the problems that they're having. And so it's common for people just to refuse to accept any responsibility for what's going on. But is that true? Is it reality? I'm going to share a story with you in just a minute about how God taught me something about this. But does the scripture say the ones of you that have faults, you know, be ready to confess them to each other and pray one? No, no. He's talking about like this is everybody, like this applies to everybody. Said out loud, confess your faults one to another. Well, that would mean you had some. It would mean you made some. What? Faults. Mistakes. It would mean there are some things that's your fault. Or elsewise, you'd have nothing to confess. Confess your faults. And pray one for another. That you may be healed. And this, this healing involves restoration and renewal. You could not only be healed Physically, you can be healed in other ways. And obviously, you know, relationships can be restored. Say it out loud again, confess your faults. <laughs> confess your faults one to another. Now, you were going to Proverbs, is that right? Well, let me just tell you this while, while we're getting ready to do that. One of the, the things the Lord quickened to me that helped me to begin to see something here. Back uh, some years ago, oh, this is uh, decades ago now, I was uh, serving with Brother Kenneth Hagin, Phyllis and I were, traveling with them, and in their meetings. And uh, frequently he'd call on me 
to do something in the service, you know, uh, sing a song. Sometimes he'd have me speak. Sometimes he'd say, do you have anything, you know, a word to give or something like that. And this happened a number of times. Well, we were in a, one of the big meetings there at uh, Kenneth Hagin Ministries. And one night he did that. He called me up and he said, uh, Brother Keith, do you have something, you know, to give out that would go here? And so I did. I took a few minutes and I talked about some things concerning churches and I talked about some things concerning leadership and ministry and uh, seemed to go fine, best I could tell. But, uh, and after the service, I saw Brother Hagen and he said he thought it was good, fine. And, and well, there was nothing really to talk about. And, but I got a, some complaints that some ministers, just when I say ministers, two, I think, sent to the ministry there, the Kenneth Hagin ministry, and they didn't like what I said. And so uh, they, in fact, they, they were saying they were quite upset about it and offended. And I was just a young whippersnapper, and I didn't have a bunch of experience pastoring, and I didn't know what I was talking about. And, uh, and so they sent it to me. Well, it, you know, I'm a young guy. You understand? This is decades ago. And uh, it, it rubbed me the wrong way because my first thought was, well, this is not your meeting. This is Brother Hagin's meeting. And I've already talked to him about this, and he was happy with it. And so if it's his meeting, and he's okay with it, and I'm under him, then, you know, my thought is, is what, what's your problem? And so I, uh, I thought, well, what do I need to do about this? And um, checking my heart in a time of prayer later, a day or so later, and the Lord brought that up to me. And I thought, well, I may just ask Brother Hagin again about that. You know, see if there's something, you know, that, that bothered him about it. And the Lord quickened to me. I don't mean to hurt a voice, but inside me, he dealt with me. I want you to write them a letter, those pastors, and apologize. Man, I kind of sat back in my chair. I thought, for what? Apologize for what? What did I say something that was wrong? Did I? What did I do? And I'm, I'm, I'm searching my mind, and I'm thinking, well, what? What am I going to apologize for? And uh, the Lord uh, quickened to me. He said, Well, do you suppose that there's nothing you could have done differently? In this situation, could you have been kinder in what you said? Could you have said it with more wisdom? Could you have said it more graciously? I'm sitting there thinking, well, I'm, I'm sure that I could have. And then the Lord said, will you do it for me? Yes, Lord. I don't have to think. He hung on the cross for me. Will I write a letter? Is it possible that I could have done something differently. Do you hear that phrase? Could you have done something any differently that would have resulted or might have resulted in a different outcome? Now, how many understand? It's a big thing to say, no. I said everything perfectly. And I did everything exactly right. Really? Really? Because we just know in part. 
Do you see what I'm talking about here? When people get so adamant and say, you know, it's not my fault. I did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. Could you have said anything differently? Or could you have just been quiet? Is there anything you could have done differently that might have resulted in a different outcome? Are you not even open to it? You really imagine that everything you think, say, and do is Christ-like perfection? And so when the Lord said, will you do it for me? I'm not arguing with it anymore. I'm going to do it. I just got to figure out how. Because I didn't know what I had done wrong. And so the Lord helped me. I prayed and I, I didn't know anything I'd said wrong doctrinally or I felt like I said what the Spirit of God prompted me to say. I didn't have a check or bother about that, but I did what the Lord said. I said, you know, I'm young. I'm, I may have said something too harshly. I'm sure I could have said with more wisdom or grace. And, and I, I acknowledged, I said, I, I haven't pastored, and there are a lot of things I don't know. And the Lord helped me. And uh, I wrote the letter, and I sent the letter to the pastors. Well, I didn't hear anything about it for a month or so, and then they invited me to come to a meeting at their church. <laughs> and the Lord said, I want you to go. I thought, really? You want me to go? I went. It was a great meeting. We had good fellowship. There wasn't any problem. And the Lord showed me while I was there praying. He said, if you hadn't done what I directed you to do, and if you had talked with your leaders about it, this one would have said this, that one would have said the other, and people would have talked to this one about that. There would have begun a rift and an issue and a strife, and it was all prevented with one simple little letter. Just being willing to take some fault and take some responsibility for what I said. Come on, can you see this, child of God? When we become so adamant and so, you know, stubborn about, I'm right, I heard from God, I quoted the scripture. Yeah, but how much do you know about that scripture? How gracious were you? Could you have presented it better? Could you have come across with more love and more grace? Was there a wiser way to approach it and say it and do it that could have resulted in a different outcome? I bring this up because this is the way all of life is. Sometimes people, you know, they, they get to a place, they're involved in some kind of business with somebody, they're rude to them, they're ugly, they take advantage of them, it's just a bad situation, and people get so, you know, blaming, and so mad, and so bitter, and they never stop to ask, should I have even gone there that day? If I had prayed, better and heard the Lord better, and I had never even gone and tried to do that deal with them, never even tried, didn't even accept that job, never tried to do that thing, I could have been spared the whole deal. Do I have any responsibility here? Could I have done anything any differently? Now, the unsaved world doesn't think like this at all. It's always somebody else's fault, and it's never any responsibility. But that's ungodly. Jesus said, come, learn of me. I'm meek 
and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest. In this strife-filled world, if we will think right and be quick, not to receive condemnation, but quick to repent at any mistake we made, open that we could have done anything differently. You know, how many understand? It is some kind of pride to say everything I have done and every decision I've made and every word that I've said has been 100% led by the Holy Spirit. You know that's not true. Well, if you said and did some things that's different from how the Lord was leading you, then you, you set some wrong things in motion. You have a responsibility for that. And no matter how badly they acted, ask yourself the question. I'll keep repeating it, but ask yourself the question. Could I have said or done anything differently that would have resulted in a different outcome? Sometimes the answer is, I don't know of anything I could have said or done differently. Doesn't mean there wasn't, but you don't know it. And you don't need to try to find condemnation about it. You just leave it there. But a lot of times, many times, if you'll be honest, you know, I could have done a lot of things differently. I got mad. I said too much. I should have stayed at the house that day. <laughs> I, I shouldn't have called them about that. I should have left it alone and prayed about it. I shouldn't have gone into that deal with them without praying and checking the Lord more about it. We need to take responsibility for our own choices and our own thoughts and our own words. And then if we make a mistake, we need to be quick to acknowledge it, to confess it, take responsibility. What about all that they did? That's between them and God. If they'll repent, it can be good with them. You can't control them. But if you blame them and don't take responsibility for your own mistakes, you forfeit grace. And that's a bad thing. You, you, you fail of the grace. You come short of the grace. Let me tell you another thing that happened that taught me about this. Again, this was decades ago when I was working in a healing school and prayer school at Brother Kenneth Hagin's ministry. I had people that helped me, ushers at the book table, singers and players. Uh, this is all in, in Brother Hagin's ministry but I'm speaking in the afternoon at healing school and that kind of thing, and so they're helping me. And uh, one of my song leaders got into a bit of a tiff with some of the other singers, and so they were a leader. And so I called them to my office afterwards. And one of the reasons I did is because the Lord had just dealt with me a couple of days before that I was responsible for any strife that was in our operations. If I let it go, then it's my responsibility for letting it go. And that strife is the manifest presence of the devil. And we must not have it. Whatever it takes, we must not have it. And so uh, I called the person in and I asked them about it. They immediately began to be defensive. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm ready to just make a little correction and go on. You know, I'm not thinking about letting them go or anything. But uh, man, they got defensive. 
and they were adamant that they didn't do anything wrong, and it was all these other guys' fault. And I tried talking to them for 20, 30 minutes, and they just got harder and harder. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to take you off the platform for uh, three weeks, and uh, then let's talk again. And I want you to pray about this. Look at this. I didn't intend to do that when they came in. But are they repenting for anything? They refuse to. Well, if you won't repent, how can you get grace for something you won't acknowledge you even need? Can you see this? Can a person be saved, born again, if they won't acknowledge they need salvation? If they won't believe that Jesus forgave them, if they won't receive it? So, you know, have you heard the phrase, it takes two to tango? Talking about the dance? Well, it takes two to tangle, right? I mean, how can you have a blowout of strife by yourself? I mean, no matter if the other person did do something wrong, your response to it is going to determine how much out of hand this thing gets. And this person, the song leader, was young, and I knew that, and I didn't expect them to know all of this, but I did expect them to make an adjustment when I asked them to. Well, three weeks later, they come in, and they're harder than they were the last time I talked to them. So, and they had talked to their spouse, and they're no telling, I don't know what they said about it, but they got mad, then the spouse is mad at me, and so I had both of them come in. And I just asked them about what happened. And they're upset. And so I said, well, I want you to take another month off. And then we'll, we'll talk about it again. I want you to seriously pray about this and look at this. Well, they came back after a month and they were just as mad and upset and, and wouldn't repent. I didn't use them again. I let them go. And here's what I want you to see. I was ready to give them grace and not have them even miss one day of working in the healing school with me. I like them. I still like them. I love them. But can you see what happened there? They refused to take any responsibility. And there's a bigger problem here too. What they're saying to me is that they don't respect me hearing from God and that I don't know what I'm talking about. How can they help me spiritually and they don't believe in me? And they don't respect me enough as a leader to be able to hear from God. Can you see where the problems are? And this is the kind of, I, I use it and say this because this is happening not just with people, but it's happening with God. If you'll come to him and not play games with him and humble yourself and acknowledge, you know, where you've missed it and this kind of thing. He is full of grace. He is full of mercy. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to repent. He doesn't want you to lose anything. He wants you to have it all restored. Oh, but friend, if you harden your heart and you, you're adamant that it's all somebody else's fault and you won't admit anything and you won't take any responsibility, that's pride and fear. And the proud do not get the grace. The humble get the grace. The proud get resisted. Can you see this child of God? 
Is this important? Is this significant? It is so important. You know, we got a number of people that should still be involved in the church family, Branson, Sarasota, that um, quit going some a few years ago, not too many, thank the Lord, but a few that were vital and involved on teams and these kind of things. But something happened with somebody else and they got mad and they got upset and they quit. And they quit going to church. Well, they're waiting on somebody, this person that they, you know, think or whether they did or imagine did something wrong to them. They're waiting on them to come to them to apologize or maybe they already have or whatever, but they don't realize they're the ones that got robbed. They're not in their place. They're not doing the things they're supposed to be doing. They're not in the plan God had for them. They're missing out on things they should be getting reward for past this life. This is serious stuff. This is how the devil steals, kills, and destroys by people getting so adamant and people getting so stiff. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do it. Are you sure? I mean, what you're doing right now is wrong. (laughs) Can you see this child of God? That kind of attitude, that stubbornness, that refusal to forgive and show any grace, that pride of acting like you did everything perfectly. There was nothing you could have said or done any differently than what you did. That's wrong. And even though you might technically be right about some things, God's always looking at the heart. And if your heart's wrong, it doesn't matter what's right technically. In God's eyes, you're wrong. Doesn't matter what they did, they'll need to get that straightened out between them and God. But what about you and God? It's uh, as a pastor, you know, it, it, it. Phyllis and I just have to cast the care of it over on the Lord because we care about people. We don't want to see them robbed. But we've seen it, you know, in ministry and with ministers and with people in church families dozens of times over the years. People get miffed. They get uh, offended about something. They get hurt. They get mad. And uh, quit serving God. Quit church. (laughs) And then, you know, maybe they got mad and they yielded to their temper and they said and did some things well now they're embarrassed and ashamed so they don't want to come to church and assume that everybody knows it and they don't (laughs) and so they stay away from church and don't realize we don't have much time the years are clicking by and these opportunities to serve on these teams and do these things in the church and in the kingdom of God they are so precious We don't want to miss a day of it. We don't want to miss a service of it. We don't want to miss a week or a month of it, much less 10 years, 15 years, and you wake up and you got three years left to live and you you, you can't get it back. You've wasted it. You've squandered it. Why? Why? What was worth paying that kind of price? Because they're wrong. It's their fault. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I was right. Like I said, I don't have to know anything else to know you're wrong. Just listening to you. That's a wrong spirit. That's a wrong heart. Because a right heart 
is quick to uh, hear and slow to speak and answer and slow to get angry. A right heart is meek and willing to admit, I don't know everything. I haven't done everything right. I've made mistakes. I've come up short. Oh, how many of the enemy's devices we could thwart, we could stop before it ever turned into a big ordeal if folks would just be willing to say, I'm sorry, I apologize. I should have done that differently. Even if you think technically, doctrinally, you're right. Still, could you have done anything differently? Could your way, your words, your expression have been different and in the outcome been different? Thank God for the mercy of God. Thank God for the grace of God. Look in Ephesians, if you would. We, we read James that said, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. Let's read this in Ephesians 4 and 1. Ephesians 4, 1, he said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now, another way to say forbearing is to say put up with. Put up with one another in love. Just being aware of where they are, where you are, they hadn't said and done everything right, you hadn't said and done everything right, we should show each other some forbearance, some patience, some grace. Even if somebody's obviously doing something wrong, you still want to keep checking your heart, I don't want to hurt them, even if they're going the wrong way. What can I do to help them? I don't want to add to their problems. I want to help them get out of the wrong path and go on the right path. And I don't, I don't need to be self-righteous about it. I don't need to say, oh, I'd never do that. That's wrong thinking. That's deception. If you've sinned and come short and made mistakes, you've already done it in spirit. All of us have made mistakes. We should act like it. We shouldn't be hypocritical. You know, parents, keep this in mind with your children. Children are children. Teenagers are teenagers. They're going to make some wrong choices, even when they know better. But if you just blow up and you come down on them about it, you're being a hypocrite, acting like you never messed up, acting like you never made a mistake. You know, you did some stupid stuff when you were 13. 12, 15, 18, 65. <laughs> and so we, we must stop being hypocrites. And the Bible said, if you're overtaken in a fault, he said, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. He's talking about considering your own self, lest you also be tempted. Turn to Galatians. I, I think you'd do good. Let's put our eyes on it. Galatians 6 1. If a man be overtaken, there's that word, in a fault. Well, whose fault is it? Whose fault? There's a lot of things that's their fault. There's a lot of things that's your fault. 
But no such thing as it always being somebody else's fault and never any of your fault. That's deception. That's delusion. If any man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, if we are spiritual, this is what we'll do. We don't want to prove whose fault it is. We don't want to fix the blame. We want to fix the problem. Restore such a one. We want them restored. And the way you do it is in a spirit of meekness, not judging, not haughty, not hypocritical, acting like I've never missed it or I never could miss it like this, knowing how human I am, knowing my own previous mistakes, considering myself, lest I be tempted to make the same mistake that they made. Thank God, when you do this, grace flows, mercy flows. And if folks are willing to acknowledge, well, yeah, I missed it too, sorry. I said and did some things I shouldn't have done. I should have listened to you. I didn't do what you asked me to do. Man, the moment somebody starts talking like that from their heart, grace flows. Grace flows. He'll even work on people who'd already hardened their heart towards you. He'll start softening up their heart. Why? Because that's what grace does. But you must be willing to humble yourself and confess a fault yourself. Go back to our our place there in Ephesians. He said, verse 2, Ephesians 4, 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing, put up with one another in love, endeavoring to keep unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Colossians 3, 12 says it, uh, some of the same thing in writing to the saints at Colossae. The Spirit of God said a similar thing. Put on, he said, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels or insides of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing. Everybody say forbearing. Again, that means putting up with one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Oh, somebody say thank God. Thank God. He goes on to say, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let me go over this again. That song leader I mentioned, I, it's unusual for me to talk about that, but the Lord prompted me tonight. I love them. I hope they're doing great wherever they are. I was ready to show them mercy and grace. All they need to do is say, yes, Brother Keith, I will do everything I know to not have strife in these meetings and in these practices and be willing to acknowledge I didn't have to be so straight about that. I could have, and we'd have been done. Come on, do you hear hear that statement? We would have been done. No need to talk about it anymore. No need to do a bunch of things. Let's go forward. Let's have good services. Let's serve God. Let's get people healed and set free. But if you harden your heart and you stiffen your neck and you won't repent, why did you do it that way, Brother Keith? I was doing my best to be led by the Spirit of God. If ministry is God's ministry, 
Leaders should not just do it the way they think it should be done. We should seek God and hear from Him and follow the direction of the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes people don't believe God is that real, but every decision Phyllis and I endeavor to make, who we hire, who we let go, who we promote, who we don't, all these, who we use on teams, we endeavor to get our likes and dislikes and preferences out of it and hear from Him. And even though you might like somebody and you'd like to see them do it, if the Lord directs you don't do it, you should not disobey Him as a leader. And so in making the decision about whether I reinstated them or not, in my mind, it wasn't up to me. It was up to the direction of the Lord. And every time I'd come back in to talk to them, I'm ready to reinstate them. I'm ready for, I needed them. I'm ready to go forward. But the Lord checked me. He checked, I didn't have a witness. I didn't have a prompting that I could do that. Because it really is his ministry. Now, you know, I'm hoping, and I even assume that, you know, they probably got past that and went on and did great things for the Lord. And, and, uh, but I give it as an example you and I need to be quick and ready to humble ourselves and acknowledge the truth. Come on, stand on your feet right now. Let's just let's take a little exercise in this. Let's practice this. Jesus said, learn of me. I'm meek. I'm lowly of heart. He said, you'll find rest unto your souls. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Just uh, lift up a hand before the Lord. Said out loud, Father God, I acknowledge, I only know in part, I've made a lot of mistakes. At any time that I've tried to blame others and refuse to take responsibility for myself, I repent and I, I confess it. And you said that you're faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. I know the price has already been paid and I receive it. I receive cleansing. I receive washing. I receive restoration. I receive the righteousness of Christ and I don't receive condemnation or shame or guilt. Help me set a watch at the door of my mouth and at my mind and alert me if I'm not taking responsibility for my own actions and words and choices. Quicken me. Help me to realize it. And at any juncture that I need to repent, that I need to acknowledge that I've made a mistake, quicken. Help me to see it. I choose to be willing to do it, that I not fail of the wonderful grace of God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.